you're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Everyone's nodding their heads to the beat. Yeah, we're cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is episode 90 of the North Peace Roundtable podcast. Uh, My name is Andrew. With me, as always, is Corlin. Hi. And Cameron. With you as sometimes. I was going to say, with with me as sometimes. Cameron is back. Wow, hey, fall there's been a few episodes that we recorded that we said Cameron's no longer with us. Yeah, fall kickoff. He's, it's the fall kickoff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you are uh, new to the podcast, like the intro said, uh, we record these once a week. And uh, yeah, if we get a question sent in, we'll talk about that. Or sometimes we just bring topics or ideas that we have. But this um, this week we did have a uh Someone send in not one, not two, not three, but four questions. I'd whistle, but I can't, so I'll just blow into the mic. There you go. There it is. Um, So we're going to see how far we get in answering some of these questions. So thank you to – she signed her email, not even with her name. She said, thank you for your time, super fan, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is amazing. Nice. (laughs) Nice touch. So um, we'll just kind of go – one by one and try and answer some of these questions. So the first question is this. I wonder if you could discuss whether the Holy Spirit only convicts the world of sin and then only teaches and encourages believers. The sentiment being that only non-believers are convicted and believers are then instructed. Does the Holy Spirit continue to convict believers when they sin? Um, and then uh, this person quotes John sixteen eight, which I thought I would read, but it's basically the idea of like, is the Holy Spirit's work f- with non-believers and believers the same, or is it different, mm-hmm. or like, how does that operate? So in in John sixteen, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, and he says, um, you know, it's to your advantage uh, that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the the ruler of this world is judged. So, I don't know. Have you guys ever thought of that before? Like, that, I mean, I've, as I was reading that, I thought, I often pray on Sundays, like, you know, God, would you use your word to convict us of sin? Yeah. But then as she wrote that, I'm like, huh. And then I, I actually did a quick search. There is no verse in the Bible that says, like, explicitly that the Holy Spirit convicts believers of sin. Hmm. So I just kind of went, huh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, no, but yes, in the sense that it goes on to talk about uh, pursuing in righteousness, which for those who are in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. we're on a pursuit of righteousness. The opposite would be that we're convicted or uh, of sin in yeah. our pursuit of righteousness. I heard it most simply put by um, a teacher, like uh, I think some of the fallacy or some of the mistake lands in that we, we look at the Holy Spirit and his work is different than the ministry of Jesus, where the ministry of Jesus, and it is, but where the ministry of Jesus, where there was conviction of those lost in sin and calling out uh, to those who were in sin, even hardening of hearts, 
and yet still walking alongside believers, even convicting the disciples and talking to them about their shortfalls in an encouraging and convicting way. So, um, but there's about four or five different verses in John where we see this definition of the helper leading to convicting world of the sin. But yeah, yeah. I, I think the first place my mind goes with it is d- it depends on what your definition of conviction is. If you're speaking purely on the conviction uh, that we are sinners in need of a savior and then like all of the stuff that the Holy Spirit does in our lives of leading us into a life of righteousness and con- not being conformed by the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind and stuff like that. If all of the stuff after that initial conviction to you under your definitions wouldn't be convicting, then yeah, I, I guess. But also like the the terminology that I use in my own personal life is usually that the Holy Spirit convicted me of something because as I walk through life, when I sin, when the Holy Spirit reminds me of the fact that that was not a righteous action, I feel convicted, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's this knowing that I was in the wrong because of what the world teaches and I lived making my choices that of the world, not that of someone who is following Christ. So I, yeah. I still think that it's a conviction when you recognize that you've sinned and the Holy Spirit bring, brings you to that point and, and places yeah. it on your heart that you acted wrongly, right? Because I think without the Holy Spirit, I think we'd still obviously be lost in sin and unable to tell. So That's I don't know. interesting. Uh, have, have you guys ever heard of Joseph Prince? So he uh, ran with this kind of idea that, uh, no, the Holy Spirit never convicts believers. He only points to righteousness. But then he took it to like the next level of like, therefore, you as a believer don't ever have to confess sin because you're not guilty. The Holy Spirit doesn't. The Satan Mm -hmm. convicts, not, not the Holy Spirit. And so he took this kind of idea of, see, the whole, there's, no, there's no verse that says the Holy Spirit convicts. And then he took it to like the farthest degree possible, saying like, you're not a sinner. You don't need to. Because if you know Joseph Prince, it's yeah. word of faith, prosperity, sure. theology. I think you're onto something, Corlin, about like words because um, there's two main definitions of the word convict. And the first one is to um, reprove or rebuke or discipline. And there's lots of passages that talk about God disciplining. Like you think about Hebrews 12. Yep. God disciplines his children. Yeah. So that's believers, right? But then there's also a word for convict, which means show to be guilty, which I don't think maybe that's what the spirit does to non-believers. Exposes you are guilty and you're headed to hell if you don't surrender to Jesus. Yeah. I don't think that the spirit does that to believers because our guilt was paid for by Jesus. And yet the spirit still disciplines us. Yeah. A, a believer's guilt and a non-believer's guilt. And, and I would argue is, is different in how it's manifested because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So for those of us who believe when we sin and, and at least for myself, when I'm convicted of sin, yeah, I do feel guilty because mm-hmm. I know that it was wrong, but that guilt does not have any, lasting weight on my life because I know that Christ has paid for it. So even though there may be consequence of sin still, and, and I can wrestle in my human self with the guilt of those things, the, the eternal consequence is gone. Right. So to, 
I guess in my mind, feeling convicted of something is not a bad thing, right? Right. Like it, yeah. It's it's a good thing. If the Holy Spirit is still convicting me of sin and I still feel the the sense that what I'm doing is wrong graciously because of what the Father has done for me, then that's a good thing, right? I think that we confuse guilt with shame though. Like I don't think yeah, it's wrong that's to, fair. to remember like I was guilty, but if you look at through it through the lens of grace, and it's like I don't have to feel shame or condemnation, but I was. We we remind people that you were guilty in sin, and you yeah. were just to receive, um, you know, all of the punishment, but through grace. Yeah. And so I think guilt is a great motivator sometimes if it's not mixed with shame and then condemnation. Yeah. Um, part of the question I think was like. Does the Holy Spirit does one or the other or or right. both? Yeah. And in John 14, just before um, verse 17, it said, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Mm-hmm. And then later in 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my <coughs> name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So that's the part where as believers, we can remember we can remember grace because of guilt and that by definition would be a conviction, yeah. which is yeah. not wrong because it's condemnation. And I heard one great uh, speaker say condemnation makes you run from the cross and conviction makes you run too. Like it just yeah. reminds you that um, it's there. Yeah. And I think different words are used throughout the new Testament that mean the same thing. Like, it, it, yeah, Paul might not write, uh, a verse that literally says the Holy Spirit will convict you as a believer. But I mean, I just thought of a few, right? Second Corinthians three. Uh, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom or oh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then he says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit well, I'm like, how is any of us transformed? Well, it's by sin being exposed, us repenting of it and changing, right? So it's yeah. it's the same idea. It's just using different words. I mean, even Corlin, you were talking about um, godly guilt. I mean, Paul talks about that in Second Corinthians 7. He says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so, you know, followers of Jesus, when we sin, we should have a godly grief. Well, who's the one that knows the spirit that does that in us, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. that to me sounds like uh, just another way to describe conviction. Right? So I, I really do think that conversations like this come down to a discomfort around words or just a questioning of sure. how we use those words. Or as Christians, we shouldn't feel guilt or we shouldn't feel grief. Yeah. And that's where the, you know, the Joseph Prince, he took that idea of, oh, oh there's no verse specifically that says, oh, oh mm. so we're not supposed to feel guilty or convicted. No, 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 no. That's what Satan does. And then he, he lead, launches into this theology that's just so off base but i get it like yeah you know it's people who say the the word trinity is no nowhere in the bible oh it's like well yeah yeah, but different words are used right so yeah throughout scripture people were left to sit in their consequence of sin which would produce grief and in the best case scenarios produce an action towards righteousness yeah um the one commentary i was reading it said um which was a really neat 
it kind of it's kind of i don't know if it will stir anything but well let's see <laughs> well, um, let's roll the dice <laughs> <laughs> this writer um says when the council approves the world wrong in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment it could either lead it could lead either to repentance and salvation or the hardening of heart and condemnation depending on the response of those proved wrong mm-hmm. the spirit's conviction would be affected through the ministry of disciples and then it goes on to quote first corinthians where then you know jesus essentially the instruct the disciples are instructed that there could be a seed planted and you will see that in the response of those that you speak to this mm-hmm. gospel which is right quite fascinating because then to the question i do believe that the spirit the holy spirit convicts sinners of sin and plants that seed for lack of a better metaphor and then through evangelism we get to see whether that produces a repentance or a calling or a, an interest so i think <laughs> the holy spirit's actually doing something in everyone on earth mm-hmm. like it that's the way i interpret that yeah yeah i think this person who sent the question in is right that the Holy Spirit does things differently for believers or non-believers because a non-believer doesn't have the Spirit living in them. Um, but the Holy Spirit is, you know, like John, you know, they quoted John sixteen eight that uh, convicting the world of sin. So it's that idea of when a non-believer all of a sudden goes like, oh my goodness, yep. like I need, that's the Holy Spirit, right? Convicting them of their sin. Yeah. But then I I think, sure, the New Testament uses different language, but it's the same exact idea that as we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit disciplines us. Um, I think he, the answer is found in the 1426, yeah. where Jesus says, he's going to bring to remembrance everything I've said to you, to yeah. the disciples. Jesus said some pretty harsh things. <laughs> yes. And those disciples were probably left hanging their heads like, oh, man, we were, we were, all, we were all about the wrong thing altogether. And well, Jesus it's like, so, yeah, uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at a woman lustfully, uh, you've committed adultery. And then a believer of Jesus goes and looks at a woman lustfully, and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said? I mean, that sounds like conviction to me, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a reminder, and, and it sounds like the way we discipline our child. Like I told you, do you remember yeah, just yesterday yes. when I said, so now that you remember, there's a consequence. Totally. But for the modern day Western Christian consequence, yeah. reminder of guilt. No, that's uncomfortable. I, I yeah, think the, totally. the verse that I always remind myself of, because with my struggle with addiction and pornography addiction and stuff like that, I have felt a tremendous amount of guilt at different points in my life and shame and and not feeling like I can move past that even or not even knowing how. Uh, One of the verses that I'm consistently reminded of when I uh, am convicted of sin, regardless of what it is, uh, is Romans chapter 8, right at the beginning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not going to read further because I think that that right there is where we get hung up on, is that as, as Christians, I think that we sometimes fall into thinking that conviction means eternal guilt sure of that thing but because of what christ has done we don't have to so when we sin yes there is a there should be a grieving of things right we, our our heart should break over the things that break god's heart right like mm-hmm. we should we should know that it was wrong we should uh there should I would even argue that there should be an emotional response over sin because it's wrong. It's it's horrible, right? Yeah. Uh, but to remember that because of what Christ has done, that guilt and that shame has already been born on the cross by Christ. Therefore, mm-hmm. there is now no condemnation, right? We do not 
have eternal consequence for that sin because it is forgiven, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's important to remember is when we talk about the Holy Spirit convicting us and moving us and molding us into the image of God, we don't mean that he is, you know, repeatedly threatening to send us to hell over this. Mm-mm. It's it's that he is is bringing to mind, like you said, Cameron, the things that Jesus has taught, which are hard, right? Yeah, totally. But it should it should be to spur us on to image Christ well. And, yeah. and instead of starting that journey, it should continue to spur us on in that journey. And in the, in the same way, when we are speaking and we're um, concerned about evangelism or we're in the presence of maybe coworkers or non-believers and we're worried, like, will they think me foolish? Maybe. But to understand the Holy Spirit's work in their lives through conviction mm-hmm. um, and, and that the Holy Spirit actually is the one that convicts the world of sin and that we don't have to. We can yeah. actually nurture that idea and understand that the Holy Spirit is active and working in people until there's a response, which gets onto a whole nother. Do I? <laughs> do I get to choose? Um, hey, sh- <coughs> different podcast. Different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it it actually has. I, when I've remembered that, it's actually made talking about the gospel easier yeah. because it was like I'm the weight of this uh, is not on me. I yeah. don't have to convince the world intellectually that there is a God and here's mm-hmm. how to follow Him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just even as like a illustration of that, there was a there was a. a girl that was like a young adult girl that was connected to our church and was not a believer like at all and uh living with you know her boyfriend and uh, they may have had a i can't remember anyways but someone in our church was just friends with her and sharing the gospel with her and she became a believer Mm. and then it was after that moment of like yes i'm gonna surrender to jesus um she met with this uh, Christian to be discipled and she on her own said I can't have sex with my boyfriend anymore because hmm. that's sin yeah so it's interesting that it was like after she became a believer then the Holy Spirit I think exposed that like hey you follow Jesus now that can't happen anymore yeah and I just I remember and uh, this girl that was discipling her was like I didn't even bring it up <laughs> like we met and she was just like now that I'm a Christian I can't sleep with my boyfriend anymore and she was like yeah, you're right. Like the Bible would say that's yeah, that's not how Christians operate. And I just went, that's so cool. That's clearly because if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't care what the Bible right. says about sexual ethics. Who cares? Yeah. But then it was like she was uh, convicted to become a follower of Jesus. And then it was after that, all of a sudden, this like this new worldview and the spirit living in her. I just I'm like, so there's an example of the spirit saying like, Hey, now that what you're doing is wrong. Now, like you yeah. are a follower of Jesus, you can't do that anymore. I just thought, but man, that's so cool. If every single person thought of their own um, coming to Christ and their own like transition and and through uh, walking in righteousness, you'll remember that at first you're convicted of something like you said, and then like six months down the line, and like it's almost like <coughs> this revealing as layers get pulled away from brokenness, where totally. you, you can make these course corrections. And it's actually kind of miraculous that yeah. it's not all day one. You're ripping off a bandaid and you're overwhelmed and you're like, this is too much. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. Right. So it's actually a measure of grace that you're convicted throughout your, yeah, <laughs> throughout yeah. your uh, path uh, to righteousness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm.
All right, well, we want to try and tackle the second question now, uh, which is also a good one. Uh, I'm just trying to grab a pen here. Um, this person said, uh, Joel's prophecy of the Spirit being poured out in the latter days, uh, does that mean that we will have greater, better understanding of the Scriptures? I understand latter days to mean after Pentecost. And then they go like, yes, no, question mark. Where people thought, oh, this scripture, this scripture means that. Now we understand it to mean this. So I think this person saying like the Old Testament, people thought like, oh, we think it means this. But now because we have the spirit, we look back and go, oh, okay, we know what it's talking about. Now we understand it to mean this. Maybe not a complete change of idea, but a tweak at least, and maybe in some cases quite a different understanding. The people who studied, in parentheses, no TV, no Facebook to distract them, and wrote commentaries lived in the same time period that we do in relation to latter days. Surely they weren't all wrong. Could you please discuss this idea? So I'll try and... I, I, I think this person is asking like, what does that mean? The latter days, right? You have a prophecy in Joel that um, Peter quotes right after the Holy Spirit is given and saying... Yeah, isn't like, that Acts chapter 2? That's verse Acts 16? chapter 2. So let me just read Joel 2, verses 28 and 29. Um, it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh... Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Um, and then he talks about like the blood moons and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, uh, Peter stands up. Remember when everyone thinks they're drunk because they're filled with the spirit and talking in languages that they don't know. And then he says, we're not drunk. It's only the third hour. This is what was uttered through um, the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants on those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heaven and signs on the earth, blood and fire, vapor, smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to, bl to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, so this person's asking, like, does that mean the latter days we're going to have a better understanding of scripture? Is that what Jesus meant? Or are we waiting it like are the latter days coming still where there's this second great outpouring of the spirit that is even greater like <clears throat> there's a whole movement called the latter day rain movement yeah like so yeah. what i don't know thoughts guys like was joel 2 fulfilled are we still waiting is it both and <laughs> i i think my like my initial reaction uh with what Peter says here in Acts chapter two, verse starting in verse fourteen, is where that interaction starts, right? Where Peter starts to address him. Um, with that interaction and taking into consideration what Jesus taught about what the Holy Spirit would do, I think the first question that comes to mind is if if we are not in the latter days already because of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, mm -hmm. then I guess like why or what. Uh, what 
yeah, why or what or where would we see the evidence that that will happen again? Um, just based on scripture, right? Like where, what causes a need for this second outpouring that's even greater than what God has done already? That's the first question that comes to mind for me. Because I think that like in my understanding of scripture, it's quite clear that God gives the Holy Spirit and he gave it at Pentecost and the, the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, according to some people, depending on how big your church is. I'm, I'm kidding. We won't get into that. But some <laughs> other guy. Because, uh, yeah, we won't get into that. But, yeah, God has given us the Holy Spirit and that work now has begun by the Holy Spirit. Like we talked about convicting the world and, and convicting us as believers of sin and, and continuing to mold his people into his image and that that will happen until Christ returns. So I guess, yeah, in my understanding of scripture, I don't see a, a purpose for a second outpouring because he's already done these things where he's brought to mind everything that Jesus has taught his people and given people understanding of the scripture. Um, I would argue that the where we get into the like discrepancies where different people believe different things. Uh, when it's the extreme examples, I would argue that's people's sin doing that, not the fact that we don't have enough of the Holy Spirit to to accurately read scripture. What do well, you guys? Oh, we might. <laughs> um, I've not studied Joel yet, but it's interesting because the the way it's written is actually a challenge because if you stop reading in verse 29, you can have all of these conversations, but you can't really do that. Um, because like the next two paragraphs actually, well, you can't ignore chapter three, verse one for behold in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Then he talks about judgment. I'll gather all the nations and cut off your head and because you've done... So then that's a challenge, too, all at the same time. And actually, just right now, I'm reading a, a dissertation from uh, early Bible writers. And one line that uh, was really fascinating to think about, he's like, think about the writers of Scripture in this tiny little obscure nation actually having been nothing but conquered forever. Yeah. And so their writings are looking through the lens of, like, we will want still through that, that lens of, we will have our victory. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in their mind, it was not three four thousand years later so yes, right. it's it's quite challenging because i think that then you get into these movements and these waves and it's the wave i grew up in these tent meetings all over and travel hours because this new revival is happening mm -hmm. in this spot this wave, the second wave of the holy spirit's coming and it references that and i think that this is one of those places where it is kind of that now and later idea of like yeah the holy spirit was given and then judgment is coming and we know that mm -hmm. or has judgment come already because those people are lost and their hearts are hardened and, and their judgment has been given mm -hmm. so to speak if you're ch talking then about election and those who are called into salvation now because if that is the lens that we look through then yes this judgment is fulfilled in those souls yeah which might open up a little more discussion <laughs> and another or maybe it can be addressed through the theology class yeah. on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. in North Peace. Wow, what a plug. <laughs> Love it. Well done. Um, but it's all that to say yeah. we can grab these two verses just a bit of challenge you just read and it's like yeah. when you have words like and also in those days at that time this will happen. Yeah. Well that didn't happen yet that we didn't see but we saw this pouring mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit that Peter talked about. Yeah, I think um, the Joel prophecy about this uh, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh 
sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men see dreams. Male servants, female servants. To an ancient Israelite uh, and living in the Old Testament times, that I, concept was just like unbelievable. Because you have to remember, uh, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in everyone who loved and feared God. Um, the Holy Spirit didn't even dwell forever in the prophets. The Holy Spirit would literally come, land upon Joel, land. Like mm-hmm. a, you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> Perfect landing. Would come upon Joel, for instance, for the season that he was being used by God, and then would leave. Like the Holy Spirit was not given to... So to think about that, Joel stands up. He's like, there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit's going to be given to sons, daughters, young men, old men, male servants, female servants. People would go, what? That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit is given to, right? There's 120 people who are in the upper room. Those are all the people who believed in Jesus. 120 people, men, women. I, I'm assuming maybe there were some servants there who had believed. I don't know, but you can assume. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is given to all of them and flames of fire on their heads and, and they're speaking in tongues, languages. They're not going, oh, shut up a Honda. They're speaking in languages because there's Jews who speak all these languages. And then they're like, I'm hearing about Jesus in my own language in this Jewish person is talking what yeah and then I think Peter says this is exactly what Joel was talking about only because for them to hear they'd also have to have the Holy Spirit in the sense of conviction sure because the Holy Spirit where we read about these 120 but if we're saying that Jesus what he says is correct the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world then when they're inside and everyone else is outside that Holy Spirit falls on all men Hmm. If they walk out and hear their own language and they hear the gospel and they gather around and they don't throw rocks right away. Hmm. I mean, I'm left to assume then that if we were going to think of the Holy Spirit coming down mm-hmm. for those, it came as fire. And for maybe others, it came as conviction where they yeah. went into the street and they're like, wow, we can, what are they talking about? That's interesting. Yeah. They, and they go and they listen. Yeah. Right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the Joel 2 thing, this whole latter days thing, was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit was given. That's when the, the, the day of Pentecost, it's like now every follower of Jesus is, when you surrender to Jesus, you're filled with the Spirit, right? Um, Romans 8 talks about this being indwelt, that the Spirit actually like lives in you, um, to an ancient Israelite, that concept made no sense, yeah. because that until Pentecost that never happened. So I, I, my conviction is that we are not, we don't need another day of Pentecost, which lots of times pe- people in like very charismatic movements are like, we're still waiting for the latter rain. We're still waiting for Joel two. I don't think we need it. We had it. It's the yeah. day of Pentecost. Um, I don't think there's going to be some last end time super duper outpouring of the spirit that we didn't have yet. And, and cause my, my reading of revelation and the end times is that we've been living in the end times since Jesus left. We're not waiting for some last, you know, super duper thing until Jesus returns. We are in the last days We're we're waiting. Like that's why the people in revelation, they thought Jesus is going to be back any minute. Like this is the last days. And I think scripture kind of tells us you should always be living as if as if today is your last day jesus is going to come like a thief in the night like 
Don't be like, I'm not living in the end times. That's future people's problems. No, he could come back now, like right now as we're recording this podcast. That'd be good for us, I think. <laughs> oh, please, yeah. Jesus shows up and be like, guys, 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 you're way off. <laughs> so I think the Joel 2 thing was fulfilled in Acts 2. I don't think, you know, you have a guy like C. Peter Wagner, you know, leader of this whole super duper Pentecostal thing that was like, you know, in 1902, that was the latter rain and this Azusa Street revival and we've never seen the spirit before like this. And I'm like, no, I just don't believe that's true. Like there, there seem, why do we need another day of Pentecost? The day of yeah. Pentecost was incredible. Like, yeah, I think too, like uh, you had mentioned earlier, like waves of revival type, like that idea. And I, I think that that's just how God works. If Even if you look at the Israelite people, the amount of times that they fell into horrible sin, like worshiping idols, and then God used his leaders to convict the people and be like, hey, no, return to Yahweh. And then they did. It's not, it's not I, I think that's just human nature is that we, we always will be walking away from God unless it's by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so then we will have seasons where we turn as a group and recognize our sin and are like, wow. So maybe it's not a Holy Spirit revival or waves of Holy Spirit revival. Maybe it would be better defined as waves of repentance. Like yeah. Where yep. yeah. A body of believers actually together in community said, and let's course correct. Let's yeah. strive for righteousness. And is that miraculous? Is that amazing? Is it the work of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Well, but we're only able to do it because of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. But did your legs get lengthened though? <laughs> <laughs> One time that was, <laughs> but I I think that that's what uh, I think that's a more accurate view of what's happening, right? Because if you even if you look in your own heart uh, as a Christian, if you check yourself, I'm sure that you'd be able to see seasons in your own life where you have, uh, in your sinful nature, decided to care less about what God says and care less about the direction that God is bringing your life and then the Holy Spirit graciously convicts you and you repent and you turn back to God and, and then you're on fire for the Lord. And, and somebody might look and say, Oh, that's just like another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I, I would say, no, that's just the work of the spirit. Sure. The spirit does that right. When we walk away, if we are truly followers of Christ and have the spirit within us, we will feel convicted of sin yep. and we will return to God yep. and it will look amazing. And it will be something that others may look at and be like, I want that. But it's not some special gifting that he has given you. It's something that's available to everyone is to yeah. repent and return. I like how you say graciously converts. It's like, or it's bankruptcy or, you know, you lose something. I, I think when I use the term graciously yeah. convict, I mean the fact that, you know, the, the uh, struggles of these days are not comparable to the stuff that we'll yeah. see. Just and the thing with like <laughs> people who think that, the you know, this latter day outpouring um, there's a guy that I follow online and he, he grew up in this whole latter day rain movement. And he said, you know, for 40 years, as I was in this movement, I was told it's just around the corner guys prepare. It's just about to happen. And so-called prophets of this movement were like, the spirit told me this, this, this mighty outpouring, we're almost there. It's coming. It's just around the corner. And he's like, how many times can you say that? Is is it is it just gonna come already? It's, and then he and then he's his eyes open to be like, it happened at Pentecost. Like there's, yeah. And I've heard that there's guys in Canada that I've followed for the last ten years 
followed loosely meaning like follow to be like wow these guys are crazy not follow is like checking like in on the drama not but yeah for 10 years guys the lord told me there's a mighty outpouring just around the corner for canada and i've heard it about the peace region god told me that there's going to be a mighty outpouring we're almost there and i'm like how long can you say that just Get on with Just it. Just tell me how much it costs to come to your event. Exactly. So anyways, so we should get back on track with this person's question. So does that mean that uh, it's an, a greater understanding of Scripture? Probably because, I mean, the Spirit was given to believers so that we can, like we've already said, right? Remember the teachings of Jesus. He instructs us and guides us. Like, I think because of the Spirit, we look back at Old Testament and we go, oh, like that was talking about Jesus. But quite literally a greater understanding in that, that we have this complete picture. Totally. We, we yeah. have commentaries. Yes. We have community. Um, so we, we are then given a greater understanding just by yeah. God's grace and the, the fact where we are today. Yeah. Um, and so, those before Facebook and before the internet were probably... Yeah, it's a different measure of grace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But what took me, you know, 30 minutes to find would have taken them about three and a half years. And we a joked lot about of that letters. last night. I was talking with my sister and brother-in-law, and I can't remember what the question was, but I just looked it up on my phone. And I'm like, can you imagine if we lived 100 years ago where, where, where it was like, well, I guess tomorrow if the library's open, I'll go look up that question. <laughs> yeah. Also, if if you could make it to the library. If I could make it to the library. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think just to kind of recap, I think uh, Joel's prophecy, in my opinion, was fulfilled at the day of Pentecost, this great outpouring of the Spirit that now every believer of Jesus is indwelt. You know, the Spirit lives in them. So I don't think it means that we're waiting for some last great final outpouring of the spirit i think that happened and we should be thankful that it happened and we don't we're not waiting we're not missing out on some other thing all right i think we got time for one more maybe i know cam's a busy man so <laughs> He runs this city. Um, are you running for mayor? Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Vote for Cameron. I want to uh, work for more than four years. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, which um, is an interesting one. Um, this person asks, why did the sky go dark before Jesus died? Because God ordained it. Oh, boy. oh my gosh. You're one of those guys. <laughs> Don't think too hard about it. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the, uh, I think it's in Matthew that uh, mentions that. Um, Luke 23, 44 mentions it. Yeah. I'll just read the Matthew one. Oh, okay. uh, but yeah, so Jesus is crucified. He's hanging on the cross. And then it says in verse 45, now from the sixth hour, um, which would have been... Uh, I'm just looking at my notes here because we don't talk like that. Noon. The sixth hour is noon. So from noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. So from noon till three in the afternoon, there's darkness. And then it says, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why... Uh, this person's asking, why did that happen? That's a pretty weird phenomenon. Like mm -hmm. if you were... 
out and about like today and all of a sudden the sky goes black for three dark hours for three hours in the middle of the afternoon and i've heard this interesting like um uh solar eclipse yeah I, yeah, yeah. Well, i'm trying to think of like uh natural sure so yeah oh you know though in those days in that season there was lots of dust storms and maybe a dust storm happened and it kind of which is like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I think this person's maybe asking, like, is there a theological reason why um, darkness showed up right before Jesus died and breathed his last breath and says, like, it is finished? Yeah. Or did is it just something that just happened? Verse 31 of Joel 2 prophecy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of references the totally. sun turning to black and then the moon to blood. and Yeah. So. I th- I think uh, the easiest explanation is that there's lots of times in Scripture where darkness is a sign of God's judgment. Um, so you think about Pharaoh, right? What was the one of the last plagues? I think plague nine before the firstborn son is mm. darkness. Yeah. And darkness came over the land of Egypt, and it was a sign of God's judgment against Egypt. And then I'm not going to read all of them, but it's you just mentioned Joel two. There's Amos five. There's Revelation six. All of these times where it's like um, in the midst of God judging sin, darkness is like a physical sign of that judgment. A, yeah, 16 references in the Bible to the sun turning dark. and Yeah. <clears throat> but I think that being the only one where it actually happened, where there was like written, okay, this happened. Like it's, we've been talking about the sun turning to darkness since almost every prophet. Yes. Yeah. Isaiah, Job. So I, I think the clip for me, the whether it's a solar eclipse or a dust storm or however God did it, I'm like, that's fine, whatever. But the theological reason, I think, is because on the cross, um, Jesus was bearing the punishment for our sins. And I believe God was pouring out his judgment on Jesus. I think it's interesting that like at the very end of this three hours of darkness, that's when Jesus cries out like, God, why have you forsaken me? Because I think it was a physical sign of the judgment of God on Jesus for our sins. I don't know, Corlin thoughts or you know, other things. Or? Yeah, yeah, I think I think I would agree with you on that. Um, I think sometimes we can get caught up, uh, like uh, not to to fall into the "don't think about it too much" category, but I think sometimes we do get caught up in like trying to explain away a happening, right? So. Yeah, there's lots of authors that will try and describe these things and how they happen and, and research, uh, you know, the the mathematical probability of it being a solar eclipse of some type. And mm-hmm. I think something to remember is if that's a path that you are going down to, to try and find practical information like that, to remember that if that is what happened, that God had still ordained it to happen at that time, right? Like God still mm-hmm. caused those things to happen. And, and to not forget that just because something happens physically, that doesn't mean that there isn't symbolism behind it. Um, and so I think, like, we don't hold that intention very well, and yet we do it all the time. So if you're married and have a wedding ring on your finger, it is a physical ring of whatever material you've chosen. But what does it symbolize, right? There's more than just having a ring on your finger. It symbolizes something. So I think that's something that's important to remember, whether it was 
God, God having ordained a solar eclipse to happen at that very moment in time so that symbolically speaking we could say that, great. If God literally just shut off the sun for a bit and kept the universe intact and allowed it to be like that, great. If it was a metaphorical darkness, great. All we need to know is that there was a darkness on the land, and I think you... I think you're correct in that it is prophesied about, right? It's one of those things that was fulfilled and, and yeah, symbolizes the judgment that was being poured out on Christ for our sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) We need one of those staples buttons. Do they still make those? That was easy. That was easy. So uh, this has been episode 90. Hopefully that's been uh, helpful and at least interesting. Uh, as always, if you do have questions that you uh, have when you are reading scripture or things that come up, please send it to us. We would love to uh, answer them. And These yeah, are good questions. Really good questions. So, yeah, episode 90. Make sure you like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Let's get this podcast to number one in Apple. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Have a good week. We will talk to you next time.